your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right. Welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. Dr. Anthony Tregoski is on with me. Is he? Is he there? <laughs> That's so funny. I just, I, I ghost dialed. I'm like, we're going to do it without being able, we're going to do it without being able to hear you. Uh, without, so I'm just like dialing numbers because I'm having a conversation right before the show starts. Uh, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Like I said, UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Tregoski is here. You did, uh, I, te- I, uh, I, what is it called? I, uh, just went and checked out the surge site the other day. You, you actually went and got tested in there, huh? Yeah, I did, Rick, and it was super convenient. So hats off to the organizers of this for arranging this. It's super convenient. You sign up for a time online, you show up, and it's a very quick process. Just take a little swab of your nose. Not the way up your nose type, but sort of up your moderately up your nose. And then 15 minutes later, you've got your result, and it's just a fantastic thing that we've needed for a long time. So I'm so glad it's here. Yeah, we we just uh, it only took like a national or a statewide complete all we're at a crisis mode. Uh, pretty soon they're going to do the farmer blow test. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> do you know it? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know what the farmer blow is. No, you don't know that one. No, fill me in. <laughs> I don't know if anyone wants to hear it. People who know. Uh, you hold one nostril and you just kind of let the other nostril go if uh. you don't have a Kleenex. <laughs> they, just put a, they just put a bucket out and then they go, okay, a farmer blow in here, Trigoski. And then you'd be like, I don't know what a farmer blow is. And then they have to show you. So, no, all kinds of COVID would be spread that way, I think. I, I don't think that would be safe. Uh, I'm sorry for grossing everyone out. I thought maybe Trigoski would get it without a description. But uh, city boy here from the cities, he, he doesn't know anything about this stuff. Um, all right, so a couple of things on the docket that I want to talk about today in this hour. And thanks for joining me, Trigoski. Um, the mayor hasn't declared for a race. Tommy Thompson came to uh, visit that surge site. Um, I guess maybe how how we ended up uh, Democrats versus Republicans statewide in the state legislature and the congressional races. Uh, is Trump going to uh, do four years of rallies now and charge tickets? That's my theory. And then uh, could we have a four-way race for 2024's presidency? Which one do you want to tackle first? This will be the quick. <laughs> this will be the quickest one because uh, we got to go to break. So uh, actually, can we just hit Tommy Thompson coming to uh, to check out this surge site? So we're ca- kind of talking about that anyway. Wisconsin set yeah. another record: seven thousand. 777 cases today and then almost broke records in hospitalizations and deaths again. And uh, Governor Evers a couple days ago, statewide address. This was a little bit, I don't know if we needed to make a big deal out of this or not, but Evers addresses the state, an executive order that has zero teeth because nobody likes to enforce these things. Um, was it kind of weird for him to do an executive order to, uh, hey, everybody, can you guys just not have slumber parties and pizza parties? 
Yeah, Rick, it was curious because normally when a statewide address like that is announced, you expect that there will be some major announcement in terms of a new policy or some type of new intervention in this ongoing pandemic. But you're exactly right, Rick. What we got was basically an executive order that simply recommended people to do things like stay home and not go out to restaurants and not go out to bars and stuff like that. So it was really just like everything that Tony Evers has already been sort of begging and pleading with people to do. And Rick, I think that's pretty much where he's at in terms of his power to do really anything about this pandemic. He can sort of beg and plead with the population to do certain things, but as a result of his opposition in the state legislature and as a result of court rulings that have not gone his way, he really does just have to rely on sort of this public relations push. And, you know, he's not the best speaker and he's not the most, you know, captivating communicator. So I I, I don't know that this is really working well right now for for Tony Evers. We're we're doing these things wrong. I mean, Tony Evers addressing the state doesn't work. Tommy Thompson coming to UW Lacrosse, as I get it, he's the UW Systems interim president. And coming to UWL to push a surge, a surge site, which is great. It's a free testing site, and then you get a result in 15 minutes. And if you end up testing positive, then they recommend that you go get one of the tests that actually works. So it's kind of ironic <laughs> in that way. But but we need Giannis Antetokounmpo and Christian Yelich to go to these places. Christian Yelich should address the state and say, hey, everybody, Evers has got this executive order Um, We can't really, you know, it's not an enforceable order, but we would really like it if y'all stayed home. And then Giannis can do it, and then he can do it in Greek, too, for the people that speak Greek. (laughs) Well, Rick, I mean, like, I think everything should be on the table, including your idea. Like, no idea is too crazy at this point, because what is going on, the uh, current approaches are simply not working. And you hear the alarm from the people in our local hospital systems. You heard the alarm from the Cooley COVID collaborative. I think I got that right. Yep. You get you hear the alarm that is being spread, and it, it, nothing concrete is really being done to respond to this pandemic. And I frankly don't think that there are going to be major policy interventions to come because you have a federal government that doesn't seem to be, you know, interested in a major new policy. They're kind of talking about sort of a a small, uh, a small COVID relief package that they might pass during the lame duck. And then here in Wisconsin, you have this just ongoing impasse with the governor and the legislature where they're still sort of sniping at each other, even as we have 7,777 cases today. So it just looks like this public relations push might just be the best that we get at this point. So, heck, if, if it takes Giannis, let's let's bring Giannis out here. Yeah, I don't understand why we haven't done that yet. We're going to spend all kinds of money on tests. Let's just not spend all the money on tests. We'll just give Giannis some more of that money because, oh, wait, he doesn't need any money. Um, yeah, I just uh, it, the messaging doesn't work because it's it can't be Governor Evers, only half the state – and even when I hear Governor Evers talk, come on, like he's an old guy with white hair and he's sniffle, like he's got the, like stop smacking your lips, Governor. You saw, like I, I can't even listen to it because he's always, 
know, like he's always doing that lip smacking and it just drives me crazy. So, um, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, Rick, and this is the big problem with where we're at right now. I mean, because we have a governor whose only power or whose chief power right now, as a result of his ongoing conflict with the legislature, as a result of court rulings that have gone against him, we have a governor who's really his principal power at this point is the power to persuade and the power to influence people. But he's just not that type of leader, you know, who can really capture the public's imagination and who can really knock you off your feet with uh, a speech that is just captivating. And so we're in a real pickle right now in terms of leadership and in terms of the response from the government at the state and the national level. Giannis and Yelich, though, that would be the perfect combo, right? The most popular baseball player gets one half the state, right? Because he's a white guy. And then the most popular and best basketball player. These are the two best players in the league. And I'm leaving out Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, I think, brings the whole the whole state together in unison. We all love Aaron Rodgers, except for the even except for maybe like the dairy people, because I think Rodgers has gone um, non-dairy. I could have that wrong. I think he's still doing that. But, uh, you know, so we got to get somebody to offset for the dairy people. But I I feel like we have these three most popular athletes in the country and we're not utilizing them to tell people to please stay home. No, Rick. I mean, again, what is happening now is not working, just period. (laughs) And so there has to be a new communication approach. There has to be a new legislative approach. Just something has to be different now because – we're heading towards disaster. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know. Could we be at ten thousand cases a day in the future? It seems possible. It's just what what's happening now is not working, and it's extremely frustrating to see a government at both the state and national levels that that just isn't responding to a, a situation that is really dire and really deteriorating here. We just need cooler people in government. I mean, how I would, I'm ripping on Evers now. I'll tell you, I'm bipartisan on this. If Scott Walker came out and started saying to tell people to stay home, stay safe, I'd just be like, yeah, that's not going to work for half the the other half of the state. Scott Walker wouldn't be as good a messenger on this either because you just, you're just going to roll your eyes at these, uh, these leaders. We, we elect these people and then we end up not liking them anyway. All right. We got to take a quick break. We'll be back. Brad's got to do the news and then we'll be back with you to be a lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Trigoski after this. All right. Welcome back to lacrosse talk, talk PM. Welcome back to lacrosse talk PM. It's going to commercial threw me off a little bit. Uh, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski is going to join us this hour as he does most Fridays as we just kind of, we kind of run gambit, uh, around state politics. But first Chagoski, we're going to run gambit around French Island. Harold, is this Harold? Yes, it is. It's Harold. I uh, just thought I would, uh, call. I live in the town of Campbell. Uh, 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 that was, that was un, that was unbearable whatever that was harold is uh on a one of those little trains he's doing his train set or something uh but clyde clyde jagoski is talking to clyde coming from the highlands of onalaska clyde go ahead you're on highlands of the town of onalaska <laughs> sorry sorry all right well first of all back this last week mike hayes regularly has a uh, medical expert on and fratsky yep the med- the medical expert was asked, 
isn't 99% of the people that test positive for the virus sent home and told, eat some chicken soup for 14 days and then you can go back to work or come out into society? And the doctor said, yes, that's correct. So that means 1% of the people end up in the hospital or they are not given any kind of uh, medication at all to uh, remediate the virus. And you guys there now are making light of the 1% who end up either dying or almost dying because they're not given any kind of medication and they're just told to go home and eat chicken soup. How are we making fun of the 1%? Well, you, you've been laughing quite a bit about the uh, the governor and his uh, and what his recommendations are. No, we're not. We're laughing at the messaging, the the idea of of the person that's messaging. You you're all off, Clyde. Uh, the idea that the governor is sending out this message in in a in a in in a state where Chagoski, you've said this state is uh, as by as as partisan as any state in the country, right? Oh, absolutely, Rick. I mean, this state, the the partisan battling in in Wisconsin is as vicious as you'll see anywhere. And we have a dire situation on our hands. Just to give you an example, the number of people hospitalized is up 20.3% over the last week, and cases are up 40.8%. That's nationwide. Meanwhile, tests are only up 12.5%. So, this increase in cases and this increase in hospitalizations can't be caused by the increase in tests because the hospitalizations and cases are increasing faster than the testing is. Yeah, I so have. we have a dire situation on our hands, and like like we said, I mean, like Evers is doing what he has, what he can, um, in terms of the best play that he has, and his best play right now is to focus on public messaging, is to focus on uh, on communications. But it, it, unfortunately, he's just not as effective of a communicator as some other governors are. Well, and I would and, say no, I would say no governor. Uh, you know what? Is there a governor in a different state where the governor is like 80% liked by people? I, I doubt it, right? Well, you know, Rick, there have been some governors who have seen their popularity just skyrocket during this pandemic because the state governments have been front and center in the response to the coronavirus. And that is going to continue to be the case because right now we're seeing that the national government continues to take a back seat in this response. And so as we get into these next few weeks, these next few months, which are projected to be very, very bad, it's really going to be on the state governments. And so that will continue to put these governors front and center in the public eye in the response to this pandemic. Yeah, the idea that Clyde comes in here on a Friday, calls me and says, we can't laugh and have fun. Uh, just uh, come on, Clyde, you're, you're killing the weekend vibe already. And and and. The, and and gets it all wrong. If the governor wants to come out and try to tell half the state to stay home and stay safe, uh, I feel like people are just going to roll their eyes at him. All right, let's move on from governors to mayors. Mayor Tim Cabot was on my show Monday, as he is every month, uh, the, the Monday before the city council meeting. And I ask him, I always ask him at the end of the show, because I, I kind of know the answer. 
I just I don't actually know the answer, but I can kind of guess that the answer. And I asked him if he's going to run for mayor. He said, well, no, in a few weeks. And he's always said that. I think he said that three consecutive months. Uh, the the mayor mayor the 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 mayor race is on the ballot April sixth. So we're five months out or so, maybe less than five months out. Is it is it a good strategy for the mayor to to wait this long? Is is five months? Is is it time for him to declare, or do you think maybe he won't be running for mayor? You know, it, it's hard to say at this point, Rick, because we are getting down to the wire in terms of when someone would announce their run. But I do think that he can afford to wait because I, I believe you mentioned that there's only one other candidate in the field at the moment. Mm-hmm. So he can he can certainly wait this thing out, just given the lack of activity in the field. Yeah, and I said five months out. I think it's four. <laughs> it's less than four. So, um, yeah, Jessica Olson, she's a city council member. She's kind of unknown, too. She's been on the city council for, I think, three years. I think 2000, maybe 2016. I'm, now I'm, I'm blanking on when exactly she, but it hasn't been very long. So she's the only one to run. And even when she declared, she was like, yeah, I'm going to run for mayor. Unless somebody I like better runs for mayor, then I will pull my name out of the hat. So you're already... Like, you're not exactly hitting the the ground running when you uh, decide to run for mayor like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard that kind of rhetoric from a candidate for office before. Like, I'm announcing my run, but I'm going to drop out if someone better jumps into the race. I mean, like, that's not exactly how you would generate a lot of momentum yeah, very, for your candidacy yeah. at the beginning of it. It's very honest, and I can understand it. Like, if she she's a like she's a busy person. She has a family business, and she's probably running that business. So the idea that she would have to run for mayor means that she is not going to be running the family business, which puts it all the onus on other people. But on the flip side, that's just one of those things. You always hear this. Uh, they said the quiet part out loud. You sometimes hear that in, in politics when they, you know, when, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, but she she said the quiet part out loud. And it's it's honest of her, but she didn't really give that reason. I'm giving her excuses now. But, um, yeah, I just I feel like uh, if you're going to run for mayor, this is the time to declare it. But can he do stuff without declaring he's going to run for mayor? Is there are, are there extra avenues that Cabot would have? Uh, you know, if he comes on my show and as the mayor, then he doesn't have to come on my show as running for mayor, so I don't have to give equal time. You know, you know, maybe he just doesn't run for mayor and bows out as a way to get out of doing your show, Rick. Well, you talked about. Uh, oh, well, we did. We did a whole show before the show, but you talked about Ron Kind in two years, maybe not running for his seat again in the Congress and maybe running for Senate. Maybe Ron Kine runs for uh, Ron Johnson's Senate seat coming up in a couple of years here. Yeah, Rick. I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if we see Ron Kind retiring after this very, very close call in his most recent election where he only defeated Derek Van Orden by three percentage points definitely the closest race of his career and what a trend because he was unopposed in 2016 then won by 20 points in 2018 and then won by three points in 2020 so you i don't know that he's going to run again just given that trend line Plus, you have to consider that we're going to be going through a round of redistricting before the 2022 elections, because as the census gets completed, we'll get new maps for both the state legislature and for the House of Representatives. 
And so members of Congress are going to be running in, in districts that are at least slightly different than they were before. And so, Rick, what you find is that a lot of House members and a lot of legislators overall opt to retire after redistricting because all of a sudden maybe a third of their district is brand new and they don't want to have to run in a district that is so uh, unfamiliar with them. So I imagine that we'll see retirements come after the new districts are drawn. And I imagine that Ron Kine's name might be on that list. Yeah, Ron Kine won't have the bicep district, which is, reaches over and grabs <laughs> all the UW schools uh, from the middle to the left side of the state. And uh, Ron Kind, this race, I feel like, so Derek Van Orden just, I, I would like to see Ron Kind run one more time, and I'm 90% sure it's going to be Van Orden, don't you think? Would it be Van Orden again? I think I would reserve judgment until the maps are redrawn, but it wouldn't shock me one bit to see Derek Van Orden run again, Rick. And I think that he really proved himself as a strong candidate. He he certainly outran my expectations for him. I didn't think it would only be a three-point race. I thought it would be a bit more more lopsided than that. So it it wouldn't shock me one bit to see him run again. There's two schools of thought here. Ron Kine has his district. He's had it for, you know, at least 10 years when you talk about the district the way it is, but he's been doing this for, you know, a couple decades. And uh, he, he goes into this race with Van Orden. You were in on that one debate. They've debated a couple of times and Van Orden just attack, attack, attack. He's got Ron Kine on this and on that. And Ron Kine just kind of sits back and goes, I'm Mr. Bipartisan. And this is the district. I love farmers. I'm a hunter, you know, just kind of right down the middle. Doesn't say anything one way or the other. So if, if for in one regard, uh, Ron Kine could just go to Van Orden and go, dude, I didn't even try. I didn't even try, and I won the district. On the flip <laughs> side, if he ran again, I would really love to see him try and go into Ron Kind attack mode. What what would that look like? Ron Kind as an attacker and as a you know a politician that gets down in the in the dirt in the weeds and 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 goes after Van Orden like Van Orden went after him. I don't think it's in him though. Yeah, you know, we didn't see really vicious attacks against Derek Van Orden at least over the airwaves. Those attacks are mainly focused on the bread and butter attack line of the Democratic Party, which is pre-existing conditions and attacking Derek Van Orden for his lack of a plan. At least that's what these ads argued. His lack of a plan to cover people with pre-existing conditions should the Affordable Care Act be struck down or repealed. So that was a tried and true attack line that the Democrats bought out against Derek Van Orden. But you also have his book where he wrote about how, well, I don't even want to get into it, Rick. I oh, mean, boy. this is a family show. And I got to go to um, break. We got to get Scott's comment in here. But we all know that he uh, wrote a book about being a man. And there was a, you know, a, a, a incident about something between your legs there with women. Um, we, I'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, the idea that that Ron Kine and Van Orden to go to go again. But yeah, it didn't seem like Ron Kine had to try very hard. Uh, but that's maybe his demeanor. All right. Tregoski's favorite thing. Scott's comment coming up. Then Brad doing the news and we'll be back. Uh, we got to talk. We got to talk about Trump running, uh, doing rallies for the next four years. Maybe we'll talk about that when we come back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk in text line. If you want to text me, just text me. 
right now. Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW lacrosse political scientist, is on. Chagoski, I'm sorry we did a little in-the-break show prep there, and you missed Scott's comment. I'll just read it to you. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> if you go to wisdomnews.com under blocks, it's right there, and then you just got the headline, avoid confusion about election outcome by allowing early count. That's what his comment was on today. Um, and in in that regard, uh, we want to talk about the state races and, and where they ended up. We talked about how Ron Kind and Derek Van Orden was maybe closer than a lot of people expected. Um, and we have a redistricting, whatever you want to call it, vote. <laughs> I don't know if it's a vote, but uh, it's the 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 idea of drawing maps is going to happen here pretty soon. Um, and with that, how did our how did our state races the the idea that we are gerrymandered as a state comes up, uh, you know, every maybe once a month we bring it up. And um, part of the argument is how many Democrats voted for Democrats and then uh, and how many, you know, the the percentages overall, I guess. Is there a better way? You're, you're going to explain this better than I am. Well, Rick, first of all, I would note that the Republicans do get more of a percentage of the seats than their overall vote share. So, and I credit that to two things. I mean, you have to credit it to gerrymandering. Like, this was a very, not only was this a gerrymander, but it was a really effective gerrymander because it lasted the entire decade. I mean, these maps were drawn 10 years ago, and they've held up ever since in terms of really making the Republicans have a secure majority in the state legislature. But you also have to point to the geographic clustering of Democratic voters. And did we ever see that in this last election? Because, you know, Donald Trump ran up massive margins in these rural counties, but those margins largely got wiped away in one swoop by Biden's margin in Dane County. Mm -hmm. And you add in Milwaukee into the picture, and the Democratic voters are just extremely clustered. And, Rick, the name of the game for gerrymandering is cramming your, uh, the opposing party's voters into as few districts as possible. And the Republicans did that, and it's frankly pretty easy to do that when the other party's voters are already clustered geographically in the large uh, urban areas in this state. So but could could Republicans point, Rick, go? Could Republicans go? Uh, it's not our fault. You guys all live in the same place. Like, what do you want us to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are ways to draw maps that better reflect the overall statewide popular vote. But I do get where the Republicans are coming from here, and that's why I always say it is g- gerrymandering and geographic clustering. It is both of those things that have given the Republicans such a durable advantage in the state legislature throughout these last 10 years. You know, you have to take both into account to understand why the Republicans have been able to maintain such a strong grip on the majority in the state legislature. We need more Democrats to move out of town and just go live in the woods. What are you guys doing? You're all, you all want to be uh, eco-friendly anyway, so why not go live amongst the, the ecosystem? Rick, to that point, we saw that gap get even wider, the gap between urban and rural in this election. And I already thought that the gap between urban and rural was pretty extreme. 
But there is statistical evidence that urban areas swung even further towards the Democratic Party. Rural areas swung even further towards the Republican Party. And what ultimately made the difference for Biden was that he did well in suburban areas. He did well in in the suburbs of Milwaukee in particular. Mm -hmm. But we have seen that urban-rural gap become even wider and I just think that that is a defining feature of Wisconsin politics. That's because everybody that drives home from work in rural Wisconsin just drives by Trump signs all the time. And they think, wow, everyone's voting for Trump. And it's like, yeah, everyone out here, all 12 people that you drove by on your way home for 40, your 45-minute drive home. Um, Mike texted in. He goes, gerrymandering has been around a long time. Pound the sand idea just because it benefits the GOP, which doesn't exactly work out when you go to other states. I think Maryland and Illinois, right? The gerrymandering is flipped. Yeah, no, I mean, the Maryland gerrymander went to the United States Supreme Court because the Maryland Democrats gerrymandered the state so that only one out of the eight House districts would go for a Republican, even though the state is about 60 percent Democrat, 40 percent Republican. So that went to the Supreme Court. And and I would also add, Rick, like, he's absolutely right. I mean, gerrymandering is nothing new. It goes back several hundred. I mean, it goes back a couple hundred years. So gerrymandering is nothing new. But the technology and the data that you can bring to bear in gerrymandering these maps is just something that people 50, 100, 150 years ago would not have even been able to conceive of. This idea that you can have massive amounts of data on the voters and have extremely powerful map-making technology. For example, in North Carolina, they generated, the Republicans generated 3,000 potential maps of districts, and they picked the one out of those 3,000 that gave them the most, uh, the, the, the largest advantage. I mean, gerrymandering is nothing new, but we could still do something about it. Racism is nothing new. That's been around forever. We still probably should do something about it when it when it comes up. I mean, I mean, just because it's an old idea doesn't mean we don't have to put it down. And it is an old idea, you know, but the difference is, is that in the 1800s, you might have drawn like three, four, maybe five different proposals for maps. And now at the press of a computer key, you can generate 3,000 maps and pick the one map that gives your party the greatest advantage. So the concept of gerrymandering is nothing new, but the effectiveness of gerrymandering has just grown incredibly as a result of computing power and as the result of the massive data that is available on voters and their preferences. All right, last thing on this. I, I know people hate it when we talk about gerrymandering, but the idea of gerrymandering, I'm going to test how, how big of a nerd you are. Um, when you talk about Wisconsin, all rural areas will just you know generalize. All rural areas voted for Trump. All you know Madison, Milwaukee, and, and some of the other, La Crosse even, uh, voted for, for Biden and, and, and voted for Democrats, I should say, not Trump, but voted for Republicans in the rural area, Democrats in the, in the cities. Illinois is gerrymandered the other way. How do they do that? Is it the same? Is it just Chicago votes for Democrats? And the is the rural area a little bit more diverse in, in Illinois? It, it is, Rick, but not that much because this urban-rural divide is happening everywhere in the United States. 
I think it's particularly pronounced in Wisconsin, and there have been studies to back this up, that the urban-rural divide is especially extreme in Wisconsin. It's a particularly important element of Wisconsin politics, maybe compared to some other states. But no, that urban-rural divide exists everywhere, including states like Illinois. Uh, Jeff texted in something about my my show being a toilet flushing program, and he wants me to move on from gerrymandering. So we'll continue the conversation on gerrymandering, just to put it to Jeff, uh, who is a jerk. And anyway, I'm just kidding. You are a jerk, but we'll move on. Um, Donald Trump is uh, not going to be president. He's not going to have the responsibility of president. Does Donald Trump campaign for 2024 over the next four years Hold these rallies, perhaps. I know we have this whole pandemic thing, and we probably shouldn't be having rallies, and maybe a lot of places will not want that. But does he hold these rallies and then, you know, charge for them? Maybe charge ten bucks ahead for these rallies, and and we can go see Donald Trump, and ten bucks pretty cheap, and then he banks all that money for his twenty twenty four run. <laughs> Rick, everybody is going to be watching Donald Trump's next move once he leaves the White House. You know, does he sign a media deal to maybe become a media personality? Does he start Trump TV? Does he continue this speculation about what he might do in 2024? And that is no small matter because the Republican field for 2024 is already kind of starting to develop. But they will be frozen in place until they know what Donald Trump's plans are. Like, that'll be the thing, Donald Trump's plans for 2024, that'll be the thing that hangs over the Republican Party as we go forward. So I expect him to kind of draw out the suspense about his 2024 plans. I expect him to be very active in the media. And we know how much he loves those rallies, Rick. So I think your prediction is a good one. Yeah, and he's he he did say he was going to leave the country if he lost to the worst candidate ever, which was Joe Biden. But I feel like Hillary was the worst candidate ever. She couldn't beat a guy named Hussein. Um, but but the idea he said he was going to leave the country, but he could still uh, be part of the media. He, there's no way he's not going to be on TV, is it that? And there's no way that newspapers and uh, newspapers, what are those? Uh, internet websites <laughs> that de- are for the news. And uh, and and t- TV talk shows, twenty four hour news cycles, aren't going to have Donald Trump on their show. He's going to be on more. Don't you think he'll be on more? He loves that attention, and and news sites love to have that attention from him because it gets them clicks and views. It reminds me of something that Les Moonves, the former chairman of CBS, said, where he said that you know Donald Trump may not be good for America, but he's good for CBS and. What Donald Trump has provided media companies over the past four years, five if you include his presidential campaign, provided them with incredible numbers for their ratings, incredible ad revenue. And so to the extent that Biden is a boring president and saps kind of the audience from these 24-hour news networks, from these political websites. I mean, I think it makes total sense for them to want to pay attention to Donald Trump and to build up that suspense about, well, will he or won't he when it comes to 2024? Like, like is he going to run? Is he not going to run? To keep that suspense going as a way to keep the audience engaged. Uh, this guy is on our text line named Burrito Guy. I don't really, I, he could maybe text me Burrito Guy and tell me why that is, but he says 20% of the Democrats move to rural areas Problem solved in Wisconsin. He's solved it. I guess we'll just have to uh, 
start a democratic campaign to move to the to the rural areas. We were talking about Wisconsin's uh, voting dilemma or gerrymandering. Uh, it's a big dilemma. problem for the Democratic Party, Rick. I mean, just as Dane County is a huge problem for the Republican Party because their margins in rural Wisconsin just get completely washed away once the Dane County vote comes in. I mean, rural areas are a tremendous problem for the Democratic Party. So, I mean, both parties have just significant problems when it comes to this urban-rural split that we've been talking about. Uh, Eric from Sparta's calling Trigoski. Here we go. Eric, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry about to uh, bother your uh, Trump paying extravaganza here, but uh, I had a couple questions. Uh, what do I, I want to ask Mr. Nodal Trigoski, Goski, whatever the hell his name is, uh, have you <laughs> any, any opinion about the uh, SROs in schools? And the second thing, jury rings both ways, and you know it, and don't say you don't. All right, thanks, Eric. I'm pretty sure we we mentioned that gerrymandering works both ways. We talked a whole segment there about yeah. uh, Illinois and Maryland and school resource officers in schools isn't a political thing. Although police is kind of a weird area, and I don't I don't have time to get into one of these days. I would like to get into the idea that uh, county police officers are are all about uh, endorsing Republicans, and then the city police don't really do that. But um, that's probably a better talk for maybe right before the April elections or something like that. Um, the last thing, just uh, you, you had some electoral college stuff, not whether or not the electoral college is good or bad, but the way this presidency, this uh, this election worked out electoral college wise, what was your thoughts there? Yeah, it was literally just five states that changed from red to blue that gave this election to Biden. So what's so fascinating about the electoral college is just how many of the states don't matter at all. You know, and how many of the states just don't factor into the outcome of the presidential election. But you had five states that flipped from Donald Trump in 2016 to Joe Biden in 2020. Five states, that makes the difference. Uh, 45 states that that uh, stayed where they were. And those five states made all the difference. So that's the sort of peculiar thing about the Electoral College is that very, very few states actually matter when you get down to it. It's just this handful of states that can swing either way and ultimately decide the election. Yeah, people people always gripe that if we didn't have the Electoral College, candidates would only, you know, run in like maybe three or four cities, right? They'd go to Los Angeles or California, New York, maybe Chicago and, and whatever, Boston area, I guess, but that's kind of New York. Um, but on the flip side, they really just need to campaign in those five states, the five states that are that are, that are the closest. Um, last thing with with Trump, maybe doing rallies for the next four years. Uh, maybe do do Republicans separate? Here's my theory: Republicans separate a little bit from Trump. They don't exactly want the guy that's doing whatever he's going to do for the next four years. Maybe they make the decision like we don't want Trump representing the Republican Party. You know what? We want Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is going to represent the Republican Party and Trump. And then the Democrats, actually, the Republicans and Democrats have to come to some sort of agreement because the Democrats are splitting here. We don't have a ton of time to talk about this, but does uh, does 2024 have a Kamala race versus AOC versus Romney versus Trump? Is that a ridiculous uh, notion? I don't know that it's going to be a four-way race so much as it's just going to be a battle within the parties to figure out their identity, you know, like, and that's going on within the Democratic Party right now between the liberal and the moderate wing. And then, you know, you'll see people like Romney who want to turn the page from Trump, and then you'll see the hardcore Trumpists 
who want to maintain sort of the party of Donald Trump image. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this plays out more as an internal fight within the parties as they just try to sort out their identity going into 2024. Yeah, because it'd be a lot more interesting if we had like a four-way race for uh, president where it's legit, but like we, we'd have to split these parties because uh, I don't think Joe Jorgensen's going to pull more than uh, 1% of the vote again. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think we covered it. Chagoski, thanks a lot for uh, breaking everything down on a Friday again, and uh, have a good weekend, man. Thanks, Rick. You too. All right, that was Dr. Anthony Chagoski. He's the UW Lacrosse political science professor. Joins us on Friday, and we just throw throw a whole bunch of stuff at him and see see where we can go with it. All right, we're going to take one more break. We'll be back to wrap up, and I'll read some of these texts after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Just a couple minutes left here in the show. Ryan's all about on the text line, all about uh, us talking about toilets. I think we did. I think me and Ryan did have a conversation one day about uh, the the smart toilet. And uh, but he did text in. He goes, uh, "Come on, man! You're trying to normalize the fact that the election is over and Biden won." I don't know if that's sarcasm. I feel like that that is sarcasm. Uh, libertarian guy, send me a paragraph. I'm going to try to read this libertarian guy. I feel like if you sent me shorter text, I'd be able to better break this down. He goes, "I have to point out that Joe Jorgensen can't win media types like you, political figures like Anthony uh, Chagoski in general." with two major parties completely conspiring to prevent anyone from ever knowing about her. Uh, the American public is longing for an alternative. Yeah, the, the American public's longing for an alternative, but I, you helped me get Joe Jorgensen on this show, and I heard what she had to say, and I, I was done. Like, that was all I, I, <laughs> I wasn't into her. So if I really liked what she had to say, I would have probably, you know, been more interested in... in her politics, but she's, she's a non-factor. She's not going to be a factor in this race. So it's really not all that interesting to talk about. But if, uh, AO Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez runs as a libertarian, (laughs) then, then she probably would get some steam behind her. You know, she has, she has a little bit of a, of a backing. And that's why I said it would be interesting if the Democratic Party split and the Republican Party split. If both parties split, because the Republican Party would say, we don't want we don't want Trump anymore. And I just picked Romney because he seems like the kind of the middle of the road guy. Uh, it would be it would be interesting, I think. Uh, and the Democratic Party would be, you know, the Kamala Harris Party, Kamala Harris Party. And uh, the left left of the Democratic Party would be the AOC Party. And then we would have a four way race. But they'd all have to agree on it, right? They'd all have to say, if you're going to do that, we'll do this. All right, that's all I got for today. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody.